0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. I trust that you guys who were able to make it to the movies yesterday, we had a fantastic time. We saw uh, Jesus Revolution. It was a great movie. And uh, honestly, the last, I can't tell you the last time I, I saw the Prattville Theater sold out. Um, so it was, it was incredible to watch. So I believe that uh, God's doing something in our nation. Amen? Amen. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting that happened in this movie that we watched is that um, when people put their trust in Jesus, can I, you should expect him to direct your life. If there's not huge change in your life from when you met Jesus, I don't know what Jesus you met, but it wasn't the right one. Is that fair? Um, And so when you're looking at things, I think one thing that we should always do is we should go to him to readjust our perspective on what humanity is supposed to be. We should go to him and change our perspective on how we should treat humanity. We should go to him to change and to adjust our perspective on how we should act, think, and do all those things. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking, except for last week, about uh, the love of God. We experienced the love of God last week. It was beautiful. We didn't even get to speak. Uh, but uh, the week before that, we were talking about loving our neighbor. Uh, before that, we talked about that God is love and we walk through all of those things but but one thing that I understand is that God is not God is not into behavior modification. One thing he's into is to have a revelation of what he says about you and then that illumination should cause transformation. You know, that's a lot of Asians, and I'm not trying to be a poet, but that's what's taking place. We have two options. Is, is a, I can read God's word, and I can force myself to be exactly what it says to be and, and stick to the letter of the law. Or I can allow the word of God to illuminate who I'm supposed to be um, and it not be a rigid thing, but be a heart transformation thing. And then it becomes free. How many of you understand that you can do the same thing as somebody else and one be under, under bondage and the other person be under freedom? And, and, and that's the thing that we're walking through today. And, and one thing that I feel like what's happening is that God is interested right now in, in one of the most transformational aspects, and that is Relationships. The kingdom of God is built and established through ethical, wonderful relationships both with him and with each other. And anything that hinders the relationships vertically and horizontally, God wants to adjust. And I I just want to preface this that I'm not the best at this topic. I'm not. Uh, Not even close. Uh, I will hug you on a Sunday and glory to God and honest to God, like there's somewhere throughout the week that a a button will get pushed, and I have to remind myself, that's not who you are. Does anybody else recognize that aspect that you got saved, and it wasn't yesterday, but sometimes it feels like yesterday, and you want to dig up the... You ever have that idea that something takes place in your life, and, and it's the old you comes up as if it's the current you, and then you remind yourself, like, hey, bro, that was 20 years ago you but it felt like that was 20 seconds ago. Um, I haven't had that thought. I haven't had that feeling. I haven't had that, that whatever it is in decades. But you know what's crazy is that the enemy is so interested in your relationships because if I can cut off this relationship, I can also break the bridge between you and God. Because you are sent in this earth to be salt and light. And if God can, and if the enemy can do his best to inhibit the the relationships between you and your neighbor, then you're not the light of the world. You are the mean person of the Christian faith that they don't want to be a part of anymore. And a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about one of the most radical teachings, and that is loving your neighbors. And today, we're going to just take that knife and just crank it a little bit more, uh, because he didn't just say love your, your neighbors. He, he then created the most radical idea of all things, that's love your enemy. Yay. I have I prepared myself for two weeks on this topic to not get any amens, and, and, and so I wrote here on my notes amen so I can just look at my uh, – every once in a while. 'Cause it's gonna be it's gonna hurt so good. I promise. Y'all y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, you know when you're not feeling very well and you go to the doctor and they give you that B12 shot, it hurts. But it hurts good because you know you're gonna be okay. Can I can I tell you you're gonna be okay today? Well, yeah, you know, just go ahead and help yourself. Look at your neighbor and say you're gonna be okay. Yeah, and you know what, Kim? You're not gonna be okay. Uh I was raised here in this community, and one thing that I love about Alabama is that we have woods. We've got trails. We've got things that other places don't have called nature. And it's cool because, you know, you can see these, you can go through the state and see some amazing, beautiful forest uh, and we have trees, I think they get up to like 80 or 90 feet tall. They're really nice. They're really cool. But uh, a few years back, I got a tr- chance to go up the coast of California, and I found myself up in uh, the northern, northern part of it all um, over there in, in the Sequoia Forest, and the Redwood Forest, you know what I'm talking about. And those trees aren't like our trees. Where our trees get to 80, 90 feet, they get to 300 feet. Our, our, our trees, you know, you can get a good tree, you can get around, but their trees in diameter can be up to 30 feet. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I drove a car through a tree. Not because I was you know, behind the wheel intoxicated, like there's a hole you can drive through you can drive through the tree. It's fantastic. It's big enough. It's huge. It's massive. And what's crazy is as I was going through the forest, I'm like walking through it and you got these trails. And then you, you I went to this like I was standing next to this log cabin and then I realized it wasn't a log cabin. It was just a tree on its side. It was just massive. Can I tell you that we have moments in our in our in our in our, in our sermons in our lives that are are big trees. This one is a sequoia of trees. The, if we can grasp this, this series that we're walking through, the fruitfulness of your life will be just unbelievable. And, and I feel very nervous at times about this message because, you know, there are areas in my life that I have, I wouldn't say mastered, but I'm, I'm like semi pro this isn't one that I'm a semi-pro. This is something that I'm still walking through. Come on. So I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to be real with everything that I'm going through. But just because we haven't mastered something fully doesn't mean it's still not true. And what Jesus said 2,000 years ago are as big as a tree. Um, they, they change the scope of how we do everything. So grab a Bible. Um, we're going we're gonna to do our best to dive into this. And if you have a, if you do, open up to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 38. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 38. Um, Jesus (laughs) makes this statement. You have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. There's at Luke 6. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. For if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand them over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, then go with them too. And if anyone who asks you and do not turn away from the if anyone who asks of you, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And if you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, yea, that you may be good children of your Father in heaven, because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, then what reward will you get, for even the tax collectors are doing that? And if you greet your own people, what are you doing more than they? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus here takes the scene, and he, he, he's quoting uh, from the Old Testament law. law. He, he's pointing towards the Torah. He's pointing to her, towards God's Word, and, and one thing he says is that you are, a, you are created in the image of God, and one thing that you are, and, and here's the thing that it's Old Testament and new that you, are, uh, that you have going for you is that if you are wrong, there is something called rep, recompense that didn't go away. But one thing he does is he names a list he names a list of situations that I find is very interesting because while we are this is this is a rough word to say while you are entitled for revenge there is a better way There's a better way the scenario goes like this, is that you go fishing, you're a fisherman, and, and you catch fish, and you come in, and one thing that the tax collectors would do is they would set their booths right there by the docks to make sure that no one was, was dodging the taxes, and as you walk up with your, your fresh haul of fish, Zacchaeus is sitting there with a Roman soldier expecting to get paid, and as you walk up, he says, hey, this is how much you owe, and you go, I don't have that much money, and he jumps up, and he slaps you across the face. He can do that because he's standing next to a Roman soldier. And if you touch Zacchaeus, the Roman soldier will break your kneecaps. And then how will you you provide for your family? So Jesus is sitting there going, when somebody slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek. That doesn't make sense to me. He looks forward and goes, "How about this? How about you and your family are sitting by the lake, you're enjoying the day, and as the Roman soldiers are patrolling the lake, which they did on a regular basis, they there comes a commotion and they pull out their swords and they point at you and say, "Hey, you Israelite, grab my bags and take it. Carry it with me." It's not fair. And I think one thing that's taken place is that we've misunderstood this phrase and adopted something called doormat doormat Christianity. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, look at them and say, Zacchaeus, I know you're having a hard day. There's a lot happening. I didn't deserve that. But if there's something inside of you that you have to get out, For the sake of everybody else behind me, take my other cheek. Mr. Mr. Soldier, I understand you are here, and maybe you didn't even want to be here. You were sent by Rome. I won't only just take it here. I'll take it to your doorstep. See, there's a difference between being forced into something and being so calm within yourself saying the outside circumstances around me aren't going to change my perspective that every single man, woman, boy, boy, and girl are created in the image of God and deserve to be treated as such. What Jesus isn't saying is duck your head and just take one on the chin. What he's saying is find peace within yourself in his presence now that is inside of you so strong that you can go, it doesn't matter that you just try to humiliate me in front of everybody by slapping me. I know who I am, and I'm not going to retaliate because who's inside of me. Why? Because there's a big thing here. At one time in our lives, we were enemies of God, and he still loved us. And what we're practicing in this moment is this, is looking at somebody and going, that didn't feel good, but I still love you. There's this thing that he's, he's referencing. The English language is just so small when it comes to this, especially the topic of love, because he, he, he's telling us to agape somebody. Agape somebody who hates us and in whom we despise as well. And that's what we're going to be exploring today. is how do you have a response to the evildoers of this world in an action of love? Because love is action. Love isn't passive. Because if love was passive, God, what Jesus would say, just love them enough, just be quiet, walk their mile, set their back down, don't say anything mean. No. My action of love is so much that even when you spit in my face, I'll go the extra mile for you. Just just being honest, I don't like this passage. When Jesus is pulling this out, he makes this statement, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I scoured everything I could look in the Old Testament to find that reference. It's not there. He quotes part of the Torah, but adds on to it. He affirms some things. Okay, Leviticus chapter 19. Can you pull it up? Leviticus 19. You notice that sometimes our, uh, our phrases that aren't in the Bible have entered the Bible? You know like we've added things, you know, like the good book says, and you're like, I don't think it says that at all. Leviticus 19 says this, and, and we're going to go to verse 18, please. Thank you, Lauren. Leviticus 19:18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Where does it say, and hate your enemies? Because what happens is we are humans, and we love loopholes. And so what's taken place in the culture of this time is they're going, well, God says in the Torah that we're supposed to love our neighbors. And so if I can love my neighbors, there's an antithesis to that, which means I get to hate my enemies. We added that in because he says to do this. That means I don't have to do that. But then it gets even crazier because it begs the question now, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Who is the person that I have to be called a neighbor? Is it the person that literally is living right next to me? Is it the person that's just part of my faith? What about Zacchaeus? You know, like he was a traitor of us all, who was a Jew, who is a Jew, but now serves the Romans. What about the Romans? Are they my neighbors too? Who in this context is my neighbor? And for 2,000 years, they were debating all of this over and over again, and Jesus goes... You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But where would they hear that? They would hear that phrase, hate your enemies, from church. The religious leaders would say, love your neighbor, but we can hate them. This is something that has creeped into their theology is that if God says I have to do this, that means I get to do the opposite of this. At this moment, God is speaking to Moses and Leviticus at Mount Sinai. And what he's doing is he's breaking out this whole idea of who your neighbor is. And notice in Leviticus, when he's writing this, they don't have a land. God is preparing them that there will be a moment that you will have land, that you will make it into the promised land. And when you do, you will have what they call neighbors. I lived in Slapout, not with me. You know who my neighbors were? Cows, across the street from us, you wanna guess? That means I get to hate every single human on the earth because I have no neighbors, right? In fact, if you keep reading in Leviticus 19, you'll see who your neighbors are. Uh, I love this. Yahweh speaking here, and he says, Don't pervert justice. Don't show partiality to the poor. I'm, for time's sake, I'm going to roll through this. Uh or favoritism to the rich, judge your neighbor fairly. Don't go about slandering another person among your people. Don't do anything that endangers life or another community member. I am Yahweh. Don't hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Challenge your neighbor frankly when they do evil so that you don't share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge. Do not bear grudge against any one of your people. Love your neighbors as I am self. I am Yahweh. So in this context, it seems like he's saying that your neighbor is anybody that's Jewish. Anybody that is an Israelite in your people love them. But then what happens, uh, we, we, we expand that even further because he keeps going and he says, when an immigrant among you resides in your lands, don't mistreat them for the immigrant is residing among you. They must be treated as your native born. Well, now what? For you were all immigrants in Egypt, for I am Yahweh, your God. So who who are we called to love now as our neighbor? So now we have not only the people of our faith, but anyone who moved into our surrounding areas. I, I love that he says that when you have immigrants into your land, he doesn't say immigrants that converted and be just like you. But like, what about a Roman soldier? He's not an immigrant. I get to hate him, right? What about somebody who has betrayed the faith? I get to hate them, right? What if what if somebody is fake in our faith? I get to call them out, right? What if somebody has hurt me, I get to call them out, right? What what about these people who aren't obeying Scripture, who aren't following the Scripture, who are in rebellion against God, I, I get to hate them, right? And, and for, for, for hundreds of years, 600 to be exact, they were under different types of bondage and captivity from the Assyrians to the Babylonians to the Persians to the Greeks. and the, They're under captivity over and over and over and over again in their history, and they're sitting there going, who do we get to get revenge on? Because our Forefathers have been treated poorly for all of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They were treated poorly. It's our time to shine now, Jack. Who do we get to pay back? Man, I guess that says a lot about their hearts. What do you do when you have the opportunity to be over the person that has done you wrong for so long? Y'all, I kind of like the God of the Old Testament sometimes a little more. You know, there's moments in my life where I'm like, <clears throat> boils. <laughs> Hemorrhoids, mom, jeez. <laughs> you look at people and go, you know, God, it would be okay if you just sent locusts to their house. I'd be okay with that. Not being mean, just then they could, they could turn from their wicked ways and they could come to me and say, Pete, I was so wrong. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't want to go full exodus where you take their firstborn, but they can turn the faucet on and blood comes out. I'd be okay with it every once in a while. Yeah, frogs, that's, a, that's, that's safe. Lice, they can just itch for a little bit until they come to me and ask for forgiveness. It sounds stupid, but we do it. Okay, maybe you don't say locusts, maybe you don't say lice, but you kind of hope that somebody calls them out on Facebook. <laughs> maybe you don't sing locusts or lice or even blood, but you kind of hope they get a speeding ticket after they come flying past you and they run you off the road. You don't, you don't say locusts or lice or you don't even want their firstborn, but if they got demoted, it'd be okay. Or how about you don't even want anything like that. What if I don't necessarily want them to get demoted, I just want to be promoted and then they can look at me and say how you are right. But what do we do with the people who have been against us, have persecuted us, have done all of these things, and now it's our time to shine? This is what happens in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come out before me. But Jonah arose and went the exact opposite way. That should be the good thing, right? Your enemy, the Ninevites, God's going, judgment is on its way. You would think he'd put his shiny shoes on and come knocking on the door first thing in the morning, be like, hey, (laughs) y'all, y'all going to burn. But that's not what he does. Because God looks and says, judgment is coming, and he runs the other way. Y'all remember Veggie Tales? I loved Veggie Tales, where Jonah's kind of a pansy. And he's like, oh, no, the Ninevites. And he hops his way off into the boat as he's running away in fear for his life. Because he was scared of the big, bad Ninevites. I think they were throwing fish. Or slapping you with something—it was—it was, it was something goofy like that. The Ninevites were legit. They would do raids. They would massacre people. They would take everything you had. One thing that they would do that was really unbelievably messed up is they would capture your family and then they would make you watch them as, as you sla- as they slaughtered your kids in front of you, and then gouge your eyes out. So that was the last thing you saw with your life, was your kids being gone. These aren't good people. These aren't mean tweets. This isn't somebody who was texting and driving and ran you off the road and you got angry. This isn't the lady that's taken her dear, precious Lord at McDonald's. It hasn't changed the menu in 20 years. Just get the McDonald's thing and move on. Like, you know, you have an app now. Let's just move forward. No, these are horrible acting people. I, I can't express enough how bad they were and in a moment of opportunity to declare judgment over them, he runs the opposite direction. He gets on a boat. A storm comes. They cast lots to figure out who the bad guy is. Come to find out, it's Jonah. Jonah goes, hey, I'm prophet of God. Fun fact, running from my mission, they eat him off the boat. A fish, well, eats him, and he lives in the belly of the fish for three days. And the fish spins around, is on a one-way ticket back towards Nineveh where he's running from, and the fish vomits him up on the beach. He's like, Yep, just playing, God, I'm good to go. And he begins to walk. Yeah. Disgusting. And so then we're in Jonah chapter three. Jonah's only four chapters. Read it. It's 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 easy to go through. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it, the message that I tell you. Verse 3 of chapter 3 says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It would take three days to walk through it. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day and cried, In 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. Some versions say turned upside down. Yea, God, right? (laughs) So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. And the word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. He ripped off his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and laid and sat in ashes. And he, the king, caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by a decree of the king saying, let neither man Nor beast, herd, nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. And let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. For who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn from his anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works. And that they turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster that he said, and he did not do it. Imagine being the guy. We're going to make this more relevant. God wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, I want you to fly over to Afghanistan, and I want you to declare over the Taliban God's judgment. And you fly over, and you get there, and you meet with the leaders, and they cry out to God. Turn from their ways. They repent and they beg God for mercy over their lives. Can I tell you, there's not a single person in this room that wouldn't walk around and be like, I did that. I'm going to get on CNN, let everybody know it's okay. Pete's here. I talked to him. There's going to be peace. I'm going to start a world tour, get some conferences how to pronounce judgment on your enemies, and yet they turn five steps to five kingdom principles. We're all, yeah, Jonah does the unthinkable. He meets with his enemies. They return, they turn to God, and Jonah gets angry. But verse one to four, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord. Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? That's why I fled. For I know you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah didn't run because he was a pansy. He ran because he knew God forgives. And he wasn't okay with God forgiving his enemies. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. That's kind of hasty. (laughs) Live what? Live in a world where God would forgive my enemies. So Jonah sat on the east side of the city. He made himself a shelter and sat under the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. This is the first time we see this. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it damaged the plant and it withered. And it happened when the sun rose that God prepared an east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head and he grew faint and he wished death for himself and said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. And then God said, is it right for you to be angry about a plant? So you care about a plant that didn't exist yesterday? but you're okay with 120,000 people perishing. The Lord said, you have pity on a plant which you did not labor for, which you did not make grow, which came up in the middle of the night and perished in the middle of the day. So I should not pity, so, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot discern between the right hand and their left? And much livestock? We need, to, we need to circle back for a second. Because God is looking at Jonah going, you care more about a plant than the 120,000 souls that were made in my image. You care more about seeing your judgment the way you wanted to see it than you did about everybody actually turning from God. And as here's the crazy part. We don't know how the story of Jonah ended. We don't know. I, I can speculate Because there's a story called Jonah, so somebody obviously talked to him. But can I tell you, the story of Jonah is a lot less about Nineveh and a lot more about you. What are you going to do when God says, (laughs) go talk to your enemies and share the love of God? Yeah, I'm good. Not because they're going to make fun of me. Not because they're going to judge me. Because what happens if they turn and all the wrong they have done doesn't come back to them? That's the stance that God is asking you today. What happens in our world when everybody who's hurt us, who's shamed us, who's betrayed us, who's walked away from us, what happens if they go before a mighty God and they, they meet with God one-on-one and they, their life keeps going forward? What do we do when everybody who's done us wrong just seems to have everything keep going right for them? Like, I want my pound of flesh. Yeah, they can go to heaven, but they should suffer for a little bit. That's what Jonah's saying. Just something, God. A little fire and brimstone would be great. Just scare them a little bit. I want to be justified In their pain. And yet God's going, you were justified in my pain. And this is where loving our enemies takes a tragic turn. Because the Bible says in chapter 3 that you shall declare for 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. That word is a unique word. It literally means to be overthrown. H-A-P-H-A-K. That's the word. That's the same word that when the the prophecy of what was going to take place at Sodom and Gomorrah took place. And Sodom and Gomorrah will be overturned. That didn't go very well. The Bible tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah will be overturned. And how did he overturn it? Fire and brimstone, meteor shower right over the whole city. So Jonah's declaring, "Woo, God, burn, baby, burn." Too soon, still. So <laughs> he's declaring that. But you know that same word has a different meaning. It's the same word used in Psalms, where he will turn my mourning into dancing. Here's the kicker for me in this moment. God is declaring, I'm going to overturn a city. But it's how we put the lenses on that determine whether or not we will be a part of that or not. Because overturning for Jonah meant burn, baby, burn. Overturning for God meant repentance. And here's the, the problems that we're running into, is that God is a very... Still to this day, he is a righteous judge. But when he declares a judgment, how do we react? Are we hoping that the God of Sodom and Gomorrah burning happens? Or do we find ourselves hoping that, God, please let them repent before time? Because if we backtrack to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, if there was one man who goes, God, if there are 50 righteous, would you still do it? God, if there were but 40 righteous. God, if there were 10, he's begging God, do not do this. And yet, I find myself begging God, please hurry up. Just push him. I'm praying, God, your righteous judgment for this wicked land. Yeah? Is that what you really think he wants? Because I think his judgment and how I perceive his judgment tells me more about me than it does him. Because here's the kicker. God's going to do what God's going to do. And if he decides to judge with fire and brimstone, then I will, I will weep over that nation. If he decides to judge and overturn it by causing repentance, I will rejoice. Because in my heart of hearts, I have to get to a place that every single man, woman, boy, and girl are created in the image of God. And they have one thing that we all have had in common. And that is that we have lived our lives perpetually in the spirit of fear. Because if you can find somebody who's doing wrong, nine times out of ten, it's from a place of fear. I had this conversation not too long ago with somebody about them being a, you know, do you see yourself as a murderer? Do you? Like, do you look at yourself and be like, you know what? I could do it. Most of us would say no. I hope all of us would say no. (laughs) (laughs) But what happens at 2 a.m. when you hear, and the door creaks open, and your heart starts to race, and your palms start to sweat, and you're going, that nausea feeling that something is wrong. And you know your kids are in the other room. And you roll over and grab a weapon to, Defend yourself, defend your kids. In a normal situation, the idea of walking through and killing a stranger would be far-fetched. But when you add in the fear aspect, you do things you normally wouldn't do. And here's what happens. We are surrounded by a generation of people who are full of fear. And they react... From a spirit of fear. And a spirit of fear is one that doesn't have sound mind. A spirit of fear isn't one that's controlled by peace. A spirit of fear isn't one that's rational. And a spirit of fear isn't one full of love. But a spirit of fear wants to cause chaos. It wants to cause vengeance, and it wants to cause reactions. And one thing that happens is that if we can take somebody and tear away the fruit of their actions and see that they are just scared individuals, then we can do something crazy, and that is called speak love. Because the Bible says love casts out fear. You want to change a generation, and you want to change your enemies? It's not by always pointing out all their flaws. It's by looking at them with love and speaking love to push push out their fear. If we can push out their fear, they can have a rational thought. If we can embrace them with love, because where the spirit of love is, there's liberty, right? Where there is love growing in this place, there is sound mind. There is rational thinking. And if we can embrace people with love, God says they can think clearly and stop acting foolishly. And if you want people to stop acting foolishly around you, we have to stop asking for God to cause more judgment on their lives, but we have to proclaim love over their lives. So when Jesus looks and says, yeah, I understand that you've been treated wrongly. Yeah, I understand that the Pharisees this, the Sadducees this. I understand the Romans this. I understand Zacchaeus and all those other people this. But if you want all that to stop, we have to push out fear. Because if people stop acting out of fear, the only other option is to act out of love. Faith is not the opposite of fear. The Bible clearly says that love casts out fear. I can't faith my way into seeing my neighbors in love. I just love. I love because he first loved me. When I was scared, and I was angry, and I was doing all the bad things that I've done, and I was acting out because I had this humongous hole in my heart, and I didn't know what I was doing every single day, but all I could do was continually hurt people over and over and over again, and then I'd go, I don't mean to do this, and then I'd do it again. Can anybody relate? I'm searching because I'm scared. I'm petrified. I don't want to be alone, I don't want to have pain, I don't want all those things, and I'm dealing with an emptiness, and then Jesus shows up, and he says, hey, I love you. And you go, you can love me, God, and he goes, but I can. But all these things, God, and I still love. But I have all these fears, God, but I still love. Give it all up. I still love. And when you come to face to face with the love of Jesus, you realize that fear is so small in the presence of his love. And when you can find yourself surrounded in his love, then you fall to your knees and go, "What a sinner I am. Please God, come into this life. Save this man. Because I was your enemy, And I was afraid, and yet you still loved. And so when Jesus is looking at all of us today and he says, love your enemies, what he's saying is, will you be willing to love them unto death? Will you look at somebody and address their fear with my love? When they spit in your face and they slap you in the face, you can go, man, I love you. It's not passive. It's not weak. It's the most powerful statement because fear is contagious. You want an easy example? Let's just take back a couple years ago. Is that a couple years ago? How many people who went to Washington, D.C. was like, we're storming the Capitol today? I, I, I don't think the masses had that in their hearts. But you know one thing that happened is is that fear became contagious and rational people did unrational things, irrational things. How about, fine, great. Let's take away some, we'll pull it too hot of a topic. Let's go over to some of the cities that had riots in them, which starts off as a, a demonstration of a protest, which escalates because fear, which escalates because fear, which escalates because fear And then there's buildings being burned down and innocent people are hurt. And I guarantee the vast majority of people didn't go, that's what our mission was. But fear always, hear me out, always begets violence. And if people are acting violently against you, that should demonstrate how much fear they actually have. Maybe they're afraid of being taken advantage of, maybe they're afraid of being hurt again, maybe they're afraid of a million different things. Most likely it has nothing to do with you. And we stand there and go, I love you through it. But they betrayed me. I know. They're afraid. They hurt me. I know. They're afraid. It's doesn't it make it okay. Doesn't it make it good. But one thing we have to realize is that we can't expect God's mercy on my life and judgment on somebody else's to be different. And I love them through it because I was just like them. Nay, sometimes I'm still like them. Sometimes when I let fear get a hold of me, I don't act like I should. Is it okay to say that? I don't say all the right things. I don't always have patience and peace. Something stirs up, how dare they? And I'll, I'll show you. You don't know 2,000 feet. I'll bring him back from the dead. <laughs> Just for a second. I'll put him back down. No. Love casts out Fear. And the moment you understand and that I understand that a position of love is the strongest position and the most powerful position, we never have to worry about being taken advantage of of our enemies ever again. Because what do I have to be taken advantage of? I have nothing. What do you want? You, you, You want my coat? Take my coat. You want something? Take it. Everything I have is God's anyways. Take it. Just, just take it because my love is stronger than allowing your fear to infect my heart. It's the ultimate trick of the enemy is somebody full of fear will hurt you and bite you with fear. It's like a zombie apocalypse where they just keep biting and biting and biting and biting and it just keeps going over and over and over and over again. And now we live in a world that we can't understand what it looks like to not live in fear. And that's what Jesus is speaking to, the most radical idea. I'm with you guys for 33 and a half years, and I'm going to die for you. That's how I can stand there and go, God, that kind of hurts. They don't know what they're doing. That's what he says. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the strongest position of love you can express. Somebody speaks bad about you, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They talk bad about you, they hurt you, forgive them, God. They don't know what they're doing. What if they do know what they're doing? I guarantee you, they don't. They thought through that process, I guarantee you, they didn't. They thought through it with a spirit of fear mind, but not of power, not of love because they're not following in the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Well, Heavenly God, I just thank you that as we all had our toes jumped on, that, God, you just continue to open our eyes to see the community, our neighbors, the people that call themselves enemies, the people that call themselves friends that have hurt us, the people that call themselves family that have betrayed us, all of the painful experiences and all the painful people, all the issues of life, God, we release love. This week as something, and I know it will happen this week, an opportunity to react with fear. But God, I speak love. I want to release love and mercy and grace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.